This is the Leading Second Podcast, where we're on a mission to raise up uncommon church builders and be the kind of leaders our pastors would kill to have on the team. Leading Second, welcome back to a special bonus episode of the Leading Second Podcast. My name is Brandon Stewart, and my wife, Lindsay, and I have the distinct honor of leading this tribe of uncommon church builders. If you lead, but you're not in charge, then Leading Second is for you. So welcome home today. Glad you're joining us for a special uh, bonus episode. It was our heart for season two of the podcast to bring you some messages from time to time. Um, just throughout the the life of the podcast to feed your soul. In other words, uh, for those of us that put on church every single weekend, you know, when do we just pause and invest in ourselves and go to church? And so uh, just in that spirit, we wanted to bring you some messages and today's is a good one. So I believe this will speak right to your heart. Clear a few moments today and let this word sink in for you. Uh, we had the honor of having Larry Bry with us at Team Church Conference this past August. Of course, Leading Second is part of the greater Team Church tribe. And uh, at the conference, we did a special session in the main auditorium called Leading Second. And Larry was our guest. Of course, Larry is on the key team at Elevation Church with Pastor Stephen Furtick and is one of the greatest second chair leaders in uh, the local church today, in my opinion. So he shared a message with us. I thought it was brilliant, wanted to pass it along to you today. So without further ado, here is uh, Larry Bry from Team Church Conference 2019. You're looking good, Team Church. Yeah, you are. Some good looking people here. Hey, would you remain standing for just a second? Uh, Because we always want to honor. I love the fact that Pastor Kevin talked about honor. And honor can't be demanded, it must be given. And uh, if I have to demand it from you, you really don't understand the essence of it. And I love the fact that, that, that Pastor Kevin got up here and he talked about it, because it's really easy to be a public success and a private failure. It's really easy to want to win up on the stage but lose off the platform. And as great as a communicator as he is, and he's an amazing communicator, and thank you for putting me after Pastor Kevin, by the way. Thank you, whoever did that. Appreciate that, like setting me up after him. Um, but for as awesome as this was on the stage, what he does off the stage, him and Pastor Sheila, is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, let's take a moment and give honor where honor is due. It, scripture actually describes a double portion. And so if that's your normal, maybe do a little bit better than that. Express a double portion of honor for him. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, hey, you can be seated. Uh, I'm going to probably have, I give you permission at any point you need to stand back up, to shout, to say amen. Uh, I bring you good tidings from the great state of North Carolina, uh, Elevation Church with my pastor, Pastor Stephen, who I think is the best pastor on the planet. And you should say the same thing about your pastor. And you should always say your kids are the cutest too, because you should be biased towards them. And, um, but, but it is, it, is, it is just an honor to, to be up here to talk about this. I don't know if I agree with what Brandon said about being a good communicator on this. I'm just going to share out of the struggle and the burden and the success that God has allowed me to experience. I want to share it from that place. Um, I, this is a message that I haven't shared anywhere else. Uh, it's something that God put on my spirit about six months ago. I didn't know where I would uh, release it. Uh, but when, when Brandon called me and asked me to do this, and Pastor Kevin and Pastor Sheila, I knew this was 
for you. So God's had this date circled on your calendar for quite some time. Um, as I was flying here, um, man, I was just picturing your face. Uh, and I was asking that God would let me feel the burden you feel to uh, see what life looks like through your eyes, to experience what it might feel like to sit in your seat. Because sometimes you come to conferences like this and they're amazing, but you go home so deflated. And I, I don't want that to be, uh, if this conference isn't set up like that, but sometimes it can be like that. And I want to give you some practical nuggets. This is not from a, a senior pastor. I'm not a senior pastor. I serve up underneath a, a senior pastor. Just like all of you in this room, I'm sharing with my peers here today. And I love the topic of, of leading second. I love this. This is amazing. And for any of you who have a tendency to lean towards this direction, I want to uh, put some fuel on you. I want to put some gas on you. I want to fan the flames of the gift that God placed inside of you. I am speaking to you, not the lowest common denominator in the room. I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to those of you that want to give your life to something bigger than yourself. That's who I'm sent to talk to. Lean in a little bit. But this will be more like, this is not going to be like a visit to the cosmetologist to make you look better. This is more like a visit to the proctologist to actually make you better. It might hurt a little bit. And I, but, but I want to speak to the spirit of the armor bearer, of the leading second. Because leading second is not a positional, uh, a structure of the position of the organization. It's not an org chart. Leading second is not about proximity to the pastor. It's about a connectedness to his spirit. Jesus says, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. You can be close to the source, but not really connected to the spirit. And I want to speak to anybody who's connected to a senior leader, and I want to talk about this concept of leading second. And this is something that, that is expressed all throughout the whole of Scripture. I love that you're basing this whole thing on 1 Samuel 14, Jonathan and his armor bearer. My life verse, uh, moment of, of confession here, I have an entire back tattoo of Jonathan and his armor bearer. True story, entire back piece. And it, because I really feel like that's the calling God has placed upon my life, is to be the armor bearer. And if any of you in this room resonate with that, I'm speaking to you. God sent me from Charlotte to speak to you because there's something that comes alive when you get up underneath somebody else's vision and you feel like this is it. And this will give words to express what you have felt in your spirit for a long time. That's what I want to release today. And it starts with a guy named Jonathan who's at a point where he's watched his father just throw away the kingdom because of all the wickedness he's doing. And he's watching his dad and saying it can't go down like this. And he's emotionally defeated. And he is down, but he's not out. And he looks around. He said, I don't need an entire army. I just need one person. And he picks one, some, his, somebody who's been following him, somebody who knows his spirit, and said, let's go overthrow those uncircumcised fellows. Old Testament smack talk, just uncircumcised fellows. <laughs> and he says, let's go. And he doesn't give this rah-rah speech. He's like, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Is the best I can give you, man, is perhaps. I don't know. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or few, but perhaps the Lord will act. Will you move on to perhaps? The spirit of the armor bearer, the spirit of the leading second will always move on to perhaps. They're not looking for certainty. They're looking for a perhaps. I don't know how it's going to work out. This might not work out. These two guys roll over, and the sign that they're supposed to overthrow those Philistines is like, hey, you and me, if they call us to come up, that's our sign that God has given them into our hands. Stupid. 
30 grown men at the top of a hill with swords and spears, and all we have is one sword. You've got nothing. Let's go, buddy. Let's climb up the hill. But there's something about going up versus coming down. You got that pattern established. It was also established with Moses. They just crossed into the promised land. The Amalekites set this scheme to overthrow them and, with, and withhold from them and, and to, to take them over. And Moses is like, hey, yo, uh, Joshua, get some of the best men, go down in the valley. I'm going to go up. Yep. I'm going to talk about this contrast of going up and going down. He says, I'm going to go up, but I'm not going up alone. I need to bring along an Aaron and a her with me. God, you read the text, Exodus 17. God didn't tell him to go up. He just knew he was supposed to. There's something about going up that God's going to bless. He goes up, and then he holds his hands up. And you know the story. Guys preach the Bible better than I could. As long as his hands were lifted, they were winning. When his hands started to fall, the enemies were winning. Okay, but so what do I need? I need an Aaron, and I need a her. We all like to be Moses. Because proximity... You don't need connectedness to the spirit you do. Because Joshua's down in the battle. Some of you are Joshua's. Your hands are fighting in the, on the battlefield. Some of you are Aaron's and hers, and they're directly connected to the senior leader. All of them are second share leaders. Proximity does not determine second share. It's a spirit. But Aaron and her recognize that if his hands fall down, we all fail. Uh, let me say that again, because if I'm only looking to my own interests, as we just heard from Pastor Kevin, we all lose. And you're putting up a lot of great individual stats, but the team score, we're getting run up. So Aaron and her are like, hey, let me actually put a rock underneath you so you can sit. Can you create a space that would allow your senior leader to just sit down. I just, I'm exhausted, man. I can holding my arms up and I can't do it. And I got human strength, but that comes to an end. And when that's gone, I got nothing else. Some of you are in that space today. And he didn't ask for a rock. Aaron and her gave it to him. And it created a safe space for him to just sit down because he was weary. Jonathan was weary emotionally. Moses was weary physically. It says, one on his right, one on his left. They held his arms up and they were steady, it says. Steady. That's the spirit of leading second. It's kind of create a space that does that. That's a couple Old Testament stories. I want to actually jump in and talk about David today. I want to talk about David from 1 Samuel chapter 21. And here's where I really want to get into. I want to speak to the concept of the exhaustion today. I want to speak and encourage anybody that's feeling like the flame that you have is barely a flicker and it's about to go out. The devil is a liar. God is about to fan into flame something that he placed inside of you. He's about to restore what the enemy has stolen from you. And I resonate so much with David. This dude is just whacked, and I love him because I relate to him. He, he's incredible. The scene I want to speak from is 2 Samuel chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. 
to give a little context, this is about three years before the end, uh, or four years before the end of David's life. He's, he's, he's seen a lot. He's done a lot. He's been through a lot. He's had a lot of battles. He's seen a lot of things. He's made a lot of bad choices. He's had, had a lot of consequences for a lot of God's people, yet he was still a man after God's own heart. I love that. It speaks to it. And it says in, in, in 2 Samuel 21, 15, it says, once again, whoo, look at your neighbor say, once again, I don't know if what you're facing, will be, this will be the last time you have to face it. There are no guarantees that if you pop in three quarters and say three Hail Marys, you'll never face this battle again. Once again. And when you sign up to sit in the second chair, what do you sign up for? Once again. Once again. Once again. That's, David's been doing this his whole life. Once again, there was a battle between the Philistines and Israel, the arch enemy of nation Israel, the Philistines. They plagued nation Israel, their entire existence. It was the bane of Saul's existence. And now David inherited this same enemy. Some enemies you're facing, you didn't introduce it into your life. It was the generation that went before you and has been passed on to you. It does not need to go on to the next generation. God has given you the ability to defeat that thing finally so that it doesn't be passed on. Once again, battle between the Philistines and Israel. David went down with his men to fight against the Philistines, and he became exhausted. And Ishbi Banab, one of the descendants of Rapha, whose bronze spearhead weighed 300 shekels and who was armed with a new sword, said he would kill David. But Abishai, son of Zariah, came to David's rescue. He struck down the Philistine and killed him. Then David's men swore to him, saying, never again will you, get, will you go out with us to battle so that the lamp of Israel will not be extinguished. The goal of exhaustion is to bring about your extinction. I'm going to speak on the subject of exhaustion. Here's, here's the title that I want to speak to, though, is seven things that may be exhausting your pastor. Thank you. I'll take one person saying that. Hallelujah. Now, this next part we get into, you, you, I might not hear a lot of applause. And I'm okay with that. My success today is determined by my faithfulness to deliver what God placed in my spirit. I will trust him with the results in you. Because if you look at the context of this story, David is king of all of Israel. And it's just funny, once again, battle between the Philistines and Israel, David went down. Here's the first thing that I pulled from the text that may be exhausting your pastor. And nobody told me to speak on this subject, by the way. There was not an email or a text that said, would you tell them? <laughs> nope. If, if this hits you, all scriptures, God breathed, profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. You should be encouraged by this. Because you're doing better than you think. You should be challenged by this because there's some areas you straight suck in. Is it okay if I say that? I'm, the application of what you do with this determines the destiny of your ministries. I believe this is a turning point, as Brandon said earlier. Number one, here's the things that may be causing, maybe exhausting your pastor. Number one, are you causing them to come down? 
Are you causing them to come down? Moses is up on the mountain meeting with God, and he's got to go down off the mountain, take off his glory to deal with their humanity. Every time we force our leaders to come down, because David is king of Israel, and it says he came down with his, uh, with his, with his, with his soldiers to fight in a battle. David, you're old. You should not be out there fighting hand-to-hand combat, buddy. You should be somewhere else. And every time I drop a ball, Every time I make a mistake, every time I force him to deal with my humanity, I force them to come down and deal with things that they don't have to. Are you causing your pastor to come down? Every time they have to manage around your emotions, you're making them come down. I know, make eye contact with me if they're sitting next to you. It's okay. Like... Could you have a conversation with your team that doesn't even have your senior pastor in the room? That now takes these seven things and puts it out on the table and you start with, let me tell you how this pierced my spirit. And then you create this honest honest dialogue at the table. But are you forcing them to to come down because they're they're having to manage their emotions? Second thing, are you circling back to the same pattern? Once again, the original language suggests the term roundabout. It's like, okay, we defeated the Philistines. We're doing good now. Oh, gosh, another battle with the Philistines? Whew, okay, all right, beat them now. Gonna come back. Okay, now, yeah, oh. Man, I thought I kicked that thing in my past, and now it's standing in my future. I'm not talking about mistakes, I'm talking about issues that somebody else might not even know about. I'm talking about the deceptive schemes of the evil one that force a lie of leadership upon you. Here's the lie of leadership for some of you. You are identified, tapped on the shoulder as a, as a middle schooler, and somebody says, you're going to be a leader one day, but you're struggling with the thought and a feeling, and you don't even know what to do with it, but now I'm a leader in the youth ministry. I can't tell anybody. It'll get better when I get older, but now you're a senior in high school. And now you're leaning in the youth ministry. And now you certainly can't tell anybody because if you do, they'll pull you out of ministry. It'll get better when I go to college. It'll get better when I get married. You're kicking the can down the road and now you're 45 and you have a moral failure. It did not start at 45, it started at 14. That's the lie of leadership. Your commitment to your calling is your willingness to invite somebody into that struggle. God loves you so much, he will eventually expose it. And he will always cover what you expose. But what you leave covered, he will always expose. So do you find yourself returning to those patterns? I know you can't even write it on your paper because you don't want your wife to see it next to you. Again, that's where I'm getting right into it, guys. I want to see you be so powerfully used by the Word of God and by Him, and you will forfeit more territory than the devil will ever steal from you. Are you circling back? And some of you were struggling with it this morning. And I wanted you to know that God sent me to encourage you, say, that doesn't disqualify you. I can use that. All of that can be made right in my hands. But you can't fight it in your own strength because you can't hold your arms up long enough. 
they're eventually going to drop. Is this encouraging you yet? Number three, are you forcing them to fight with the wrong weapon? Because we all know the story. We identified David and Goliath. His entrance onto the scene of the world stage begins as a teenager, 14-year-old boy delivering a cheese pizza to his brothers, and now he sees this giant taunting nation Israel. He's like, what's up with that? That's a bunch of bunk. And he becomes indignant. But also what's really cool about the story, if you go back and read the text, he gets way too much credit for being this righteous guy. He begins the whole conversation. So, hey, what's in it for me? What will be done for the man who slays that guy? Hey, you're going to get um, no taxes. You're going to get a lot of money. You're going to get to marry his daughter. Basically a millennial's dream right there. <laughs> and he's like, cool. How dare you defile the God's... God can use unhealthy motivations to get you to the right destination. God can use all of that stuff. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have it all right. But you got to keep moving. You got to keep moving towards the promises of God. But David enters the scene and he's like, I know how I am strategically strong. Every senior leader that you serve up under has got a weapon that is powerful. For David, it was a sling. And a rock hits him in the head, knocks him over, goes, takes his sword, cuts off his head, and holds it up like Chucky the doll. It's amazing. (laughs) That's what, what makes you unique makes you powerful. What is the unique thumbprint upon your pastor's life? What is the unique weapon that God has placed inside of them? And our job, as Pastor Kevin so eloquently said, is to multiply him, not us. What is the weapon of your ministry? What is the weapon of your senior leader? And when we start forcing them to use different weapons, we all lose the battle. Check out the scene here. David's four years from the end of his life. And it says he goes down with his troops to fight the Philistines. You know what he's fighting with at this point? A sword. He's an old man. And he's got all the willingness He still has his ability, but he's using the wrong weapon. Why are you being effective in what you're doing? Not because of your willingness, not because of your ability, but you're fighting with the wrong weapon. You got the wrong instrument in your hand. You got to understand what makes you unique, makes you powerful. It's interesting. The text goes to note that when David is fighting Goliath, his bronze spearhead weighed 600 shekels, 15 pounds. The size of the spearhead showed you how big that joker was. This is like the WWE belt. The bigger the belt, the bigger the champion. Goliath is the biggest belt there ever was. That dude is a beast, 15 pounds. He's fighting this guy, Ishbi Banab. You know what his bronze spearhead weighed? Seven and a half pounds. How can David defeat twice the giant and let loose to somebody who's half the size? It's because he's fighting with with the wrong weapon. And if you do not interpret the struggle, you will lose the battle. David at this point is feeling like, I can't do this any longer. I'm going to get beat. And it says, he becomes exhausted. That exhausted that says, I don't know if I can do this any longer. 
that exhausted that says, I can't take this anymore. My child has run wild. And it feel like such a fraud standing in the role I do in the church. Because a good Christian doesn't have their kids go wild. Some of you in this room feeling so exhausted. You identify with David. You know what it's like to be fighting with something that you're losing and you know it's not working. Didn't mean that David wasn't called. It just means that he needed to fight with a different weapon. I command you, under the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you, to start remembering what makes you unique. What makes you unique makes you powerful. What's the weapon of your ministry? Nothing wrong with the sword. Nothing wrong with it at all. It's a good instrument to use in a battle. It just wasn't the weapon that David needed to use. Number four. Are you leaving them exposed? Are you leaving them exposed? David should have never been down in this battle to start with. And what happens in a ministry is there's a spirit and there's a structure, system. There's a spirit and there's a system. And what happens in most ministries, if the spirit is the weapon, you force the senior leader to live behind systems. And I would venture to guess that one of the major tensions your senior leaders feel is they don't feel like they're flowing in the truest version of themselves because there's a system in place that's forcing them to fight with a different weapon. And we create a structure that says, you fill in the blanks what I need to be successful in my role. And the whole thing gets flipped on itself. And rather than us holding his arms up, he's running around to all these different people trying to hold their arms up. And when you do that, when we do that, we leave them exposed. He should have never been fighting that battle. They should have been smart enough and in a, in a, in a sane moment, they'd have been like, get out of here. But they were so caught up in their own exhaustion, they didn't see his. And Ishbi Banab, one of the descendants of Rapha, says he had a new sword created for the situation. Do you know who this guy is? He's actually Goliath's brother. This is a revenge mission that had been in motion for more than 40 years. This joker, I believe, was standing on the battle lines when David goes out to fight Goliath. If you read the next few verses, there's four giants that are killed in this next few verses. When David went to fight Goliath, how many stones did he pick up? Five. How many did he use? What about the other four? Because these giants have been there from the beginning. And your pastor has defeated a giant in the past that if we're not on the wall and fighting and doing what God has called us to do, there's going to be a revenge mission that's going to try to come back around and take them out. And when we don't see it, we leave them exposed. And too many senior leaders are getting picked off because we're leaving them exposed. 
You start the ministry, pastor, we're praying for you. That was the greatest message ever. It was incredible. Six months goes by. That's a good word, pastor. A year goes by. Man, what's happening in the parking lot? Honor can't be demanded. It must be given. And your pastors desperately need you speaking into their lives, not just saying you have their back, but actually having their back. Are you bringing them all kinds of problems without solutions? Do they need to hear about every person in the church that's pissed off? I mean, really? You just turn into a gossip factory. And all you're doing is spewing gossip, and you just think, well, I'm telling them like it. And no, you're not. You're... Can, can you solve some problems and I never even have to hear about it? Oh, but the insecure leader wants somebody to notice what I did, so, hey, here's what I did. No, like, do you really? Like, really? Like, really? Like, I want to make sure I tell you so you know I did that, right? Now we're a bunch of middle schoolers in the lunchroom. Again, if this doesn't apply to you, don't worry about it. But are you leaving them exposed? Who would have let David fight this giant by himself? Like, how does that happen? They're all fighting together. Can't leave them exposed. Number five, are you overlooking division in your ministry? It's one of those that you sometimes become so familiar with stuff, you just stop noticing it. And early on, you'd be so sensitive to language and words and tone and inflection, what people are saying and what they're not saying, that after a while of tolerating it, you're just condoning it. Now it becomes the overarching atmosphere of the, of the organization. And as you think about it, is the Holy Spirit speaking to you at a spirit level about how may, you may be overlooking those things in your ministry? That's somebody else's job to deal with that. Like, hey, you don't call me on my missus, I won't call you on yours. So we get this little treaty going on, like, hey, you won't tell me about my mistakes and I won't tell you about yours. So it's like, we're cool, right? And that just creates division and disunity. There's a difference between the Boy Scouts and the Marine Corps. Boy Scouts, both of them are a group of the common purpose. The Boy Scouts go into the woods on the weekend, set up their tent and roast marshmallows and sleep in the tent, and then they're farting in the tent, and little Billy's like, Joey, stop farting, and Dad, come in here, tell Joey to quit farting. Dad comes in, Joey, you know you shouldn't flatulate, so please don't do that. And, and then they pack up their tent, and they go back to what's important on Monday. And for most people in the church, it's a weekend activity that they go back to the priority on Monday. We're really just a bunch of Boy Scouts. And do you always need to call dad into the tent to deal with the disunity and the division? Because if you're a Marine, because a Boy Scout, it's a weekend activity. A Marine, it's a lifestyle. One is what you do, one is who you are. You gotta decide fundamentally which are you. Because the Marine, 
is sent into the fiercest battles. The marine is the one that pierces the enemy lines to make to take land so we can all move forward. Many of us talk like we want that, but we actually go back to our little tent. And a marine isn't what you do, it's who you are. And if one of the people in the platoon is out of line and they're not holding their water and they're not doing what they're supposed to do, they don't need to call drill instructor Bill, can you come on in? No, they meet him at his bunk at like two in the morning and they beat the tar out of him. Why? Because we're only as strong as our weakest link. And we are in a real battle where there's real casualties. Life and death is real. Heaven and hell are real. And we need to quit treating the church like it's a Boy Scout troop and start acting like we are Marines. Start acting like we're in the army of God. Start acting like what we do matters. Start taking ownership at the level that God has blessed you. It's the spirit of leading second. Maybe in your notes, and if you're not taking notes, I, it tells me what I need to know about your level of leadership. I'm sorry if that was too close for you. I'm serious. Your senior leaders need to see you. It's called grab a pen test. If you become so comfortable with their voice that you're not getting a new revelation writing something down, you are not in the seat that God has called you to be in. Unless you've got it all figured out, it's cool. Number six, does your calling come with conditions? Go ahead, do all that you have in mind. I'm with you heart and soul, unless it's not in a certain income range. Go ahead, do all that you have in mind. Unless it's not that job title? I could do that, but I feel as though my gifts could be used better elsewhere. <laughs> Go ahead. Do all that you have in mind. Oh, but you want me to serve in a role that somebody might, it might look like I'm actually being demoted. And the very correction that God wants to bring in your life is through this vehicle. And what you have done time and time and time and time again is every time you come to the crux of the development, you walk away from it and you blame other people. And you start using spiritual language like, I just feel as though the Lord is leading me a different direction. <laughs> really? And you know that you do it. And I know that I do it. But it's the very thing that God wants to use to develop you. I said this on the podcast. Can I use that same? Is it okay if I do that? Okay. Brandon gave me permission. If this is outside of line, you blame Brandon. I think most worship, lead, or most worship leaders are prostitutes. Let me explain. Not all. You notice I did not say all. What is a prostitute? Someone who sells themselves for someone else's pleasure. You are paying me for my services to tickle your ear. It is the bride of Christ. And every time we start selling our goods for somebody else's pleasure, whoever will pay my dime will get my services. That sounds like you're pimping out the bride of Christ. That sounds like you're taking the thing Jesus died for and trying to use it for your personal gain. 
Who owns your calling, you or the church? Who owns it? Does your calling come with conditions? Do you, are you the kind of leader that your pastor needs to actually think about, oh, would they actually do that if I asked them? They might not do that. I double dog dare some of you to have the honest conversation with your senior leader, giving them permission for complete honesty. Are there any reservations about anything you'd ever ask me to do that you think I might not do it? If you want to see the fullness of Christ in your life, you'll live at that level of exploration. Does your calling come with conditions? Since we launched Elevation Church almost 14 years ago, I am now in my 13th job title. (laughs) When we signed up at Elevation Church, I was like, Pastor Stephen, go ahead, do all that you have in mind. I'm with you heart and soul. That's why I got this big tattoo on my back. And I said, my calling doesn't come with conditions. If you think I can be strategically used in a different place within the organization, place me there. It is easy to line up with the vision as long as you're getting your way. I really only know you're all in until you don't get your way. It's the only way I can ever really know. It's the only way I can ever really know you're here for the vision. It's easy to come for a program. It's easy to come for a person. It's easy to come for a position. But I'm talking about the vision. I will clean toilets if you need. No, you don't mean that. Shut up. Just wasteless words because you don't mean it in your spirit. Can you examine to the depth of your foundations, does my calling come with conditions? Of those 13 job titles I've had at Elevation Church, some of them were things I loved exactly what I would have wanted. There were a couple of them that if I'm really honest, there was one of them that year two of our ministry, and I want to be real honest with you because I just don't want to stand up here and just pontificate points. I really hope to encourage some of you that feel, feel like you're in a season where you need somebody to fan the flames of what's going on inside of you. Year two of our ministry, we're a very aggressive, like punch you in the face kind of ministry. I, and, and I can be like a bulldog, like, like just like run you over, like you either love me or you hate me. And um, so I didn't have a whole lot of people skills when we started the ministry. <laughs> and uh, there was a term in our church called, you got LB'd. Um, has a very different connotation today than it did 10 plus years ago. But what was happening is I was so focused on getting noticed through results, relationships were secondary, and I was using people as a means to an end. And Pastor Stephen had to sit me down. Say like, LB, I love you. But your weaknesses have become liabilities and I can't let those be exposed anymore in the ministry. And he removed me from lead staff, removed the authority I had. And it was the hardest season I ever went through at a professional level. And there were parts of my spirit that I wanted to be like, but you know, do you know how hard I've worked and how much I've sacrificed my wife and I sold her house and quit her jobs. And just like we all say. And I just felt God speaking into my spirit said the very thing I want to bring into your life can only come through this door. And if you escape the discipline, you don't gain the development. And I submitted to my pastor and I said, I trust you. 
Do you trust your pastor enough to say, whether you promote me or demote me, I'm not going anywhere. I said I'm here, not for a job, not for a paycheck, but because I gotta be here, I can't go anywhere else. And I'm so glad that that season, God allowed me to like humble myself because now, because of that, I'm a better dad. Hey, my kids love the church. If that oppressive dad would have been living like that in the home, my kids would hate it. But the very de development God wanted to bring in came wrapped in a package I would have never picked. And your conditions often are the wrapping paper on the present. You're missing the gift on the inside because you don't, know what it, you don't like what it looks like on the outside. Does your calling come with conditions? I love the statement, with you heart and soul. Seasons are easy to say that and some are harder to say that. That's why, that's why Jonathan didn't have 40 men climbing the hill with him. He just needed one. That's why Moses had Aaron and her and Joshua. That's why David here now has one of his mighty men come to his aid in his most desperate moment and covers him and says, I need you to get you out of this. And the seventh thing I wanted to, to speak over you is, are you exhausted? Are you tired? You're working a full-time job. You're being a full-time mom. You're giving your life full-time to this ministry and you don't feel like you're winning in any of them. You're exhausted. That battle you thought was in your past keeps bouncing into your present and you don't feel like you'll ever get past it. Are you exhausted? Last year was probably one of the worst years of my life, 2018. I was suffering from a pretty significant back condition. I was losing feeling and strength in my legs, so they had to do like a seven-hour surgery on my back put in rods and plates and remove a bunch of bones so that the spinal cord could be released. And I ended up spending a week in the hospital. And, and when you're in pain, it's just you don't feel like it's ever gonna change. And then I finally came home, but then I had to go back to the emergency room because everything just stopped moving. And I was in a medical emergency. They had to intubate me, and now I have to spend another week in the hospital. I'm like, really, God? Really? Like, one thing after the other. It's like wave after wave, like, God, can I ever get my head above the water? It's just another wave. Like, some of you are sitting in that. Can I just get my head above water? And then I finally get out of the hospital again. And then they're like, hey, you got this really bad infection now and the incision in your back, and it's all the way down into the bone, so we need to do another surgery. I'm like, I've never struggled with depression, but a God gave me a gift wrapped in depression. And I remember sitting in the hospital, like, I just want to die, God. Like, and in that place, you're like, man, I started imagining my daughter's walking down the aisle without their dad. And I'm just like, I was so exhausted. I had to have two more surgeries this last year and then my dad dies. And I'm so exhausted. And then I thought about Moses and how he needed a place to sit. That's why I love my pastor and my church. 
is he created a space for me just to, to sit and say, I'm exhausted. And allow some people to hold my arms up. And some of you so desperately want to hold the arms up of your senior pastor, but you can't hold your arms up yourself and you're so exhausted. I can feel it. It's a spirit of exhaustion that's this dark cloud of depression that you don't think will ever dissipate. It's this fog that's persistently been there forever and you're just trying to fake it till you make it, but you realize I ain't gonna make it. I'm talking about that level of exhaustion. Would you stand to your feet? Stand to your feet all over the auditorium. We covered a bunch of ways that might be making our senior leaders, our senior pastors exhausted. But I wanna have a ministry time right now for you. This is for you. I'm speaking if this is for two people in the room that are dealing with a level of exhaustion. You're like, I don't think I can keep doing this. I'm speaking to you. God wanted my voice to penetrate the darkness, to come into your life in a way that says there is hope. But power came when their hands went up. You have to go up to get victory. You cannot stay down and expect to win the battle. And an unnamed enemy will never be defeated. Did you close your eyes? This is your moment of ministry. This is a time for anybody who's dealing with exhaustion. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond in a way that says, I need some help. I know where my help comes from. But God, I can't keep doing it in my own strength and in my own power. I want you to respond. Nobody's looking. This is your moment. If you're exhausted, would you just raise your hands? If that's you, just, you're exhausted. Barely enough strength to even raise that arm. Exhausted. Father, precious are your saints. As a child stretches out their arms to a loving father, we come to you. Abba, Father, we need you. We need you now more than ever. I need you in my home. I need you in my marriage. I need you in my kids' lives. We need you in our churches. But God, these saints of yours, these precious sons and daughters, they're exhausted. God, and we know relief must come. They want to do it. They just don't know if they can keep doing it. I pray for fresh wind. I pray for fresh fire. I pray that an anointed would rise up. Springs of living water would raise up from the floor, start filling the soles of their feet, and it would fill them right now, Lord. Bring anointing on them. Bring healing over their life. But God, bring power. Bring strength. Bring courage. I thank you for these people who identified that they're exhausted, who are at the end of themselves. But God, it is at the place when we are at the end of ourselves that we find the beginning of things we didn't even know were possible. And as we raise our hands, it's simultaneously a sign of surrender. But God, it's also a sign of victory. Thank you that it's already been won in the person of Jesus. I pray for extravagant, extraordinary strength for someone to name the enemy that's intimidating them. 
I pray that they would have the courage with their teams later today or tonight or right now before they leave this auditorium to name the enemy, that they would no longer fight that battle in isolation, but they would invite others into the struggle. They need an Aaron, they need a her. We need each other, God. We want to hold our pastor's arms up. We want to lift them high because we know that as their hands are lifted, the battle is won on the plains. But God, these sons and daughters, these ambassadors of the good news of Jesus are anointed to see. I pray anointing over their eyes to see what can only be seen in the spiritual realm. I pray anointing over their ears that it would be tuned to the frequency of heaven and the intimidating voice of the enemy would be blotted out and they would hear your voice above all others. I declare it over them. I declare that their hands are anointed, that whatever it touches, it must prosper. I declare that their feet are anointed, that wherever it would shred, it is their land. It is their inheritance. It is their promise. God, we love you. We celebrate like a people that believe it has already happened. We love you. We worship you. We honor you, Jesus. Come on, give him your best shout. Give him your best praise. Well, we hope you've enjoyed this message today. Uh, plan to join us every Thursday morning for our ongoing episodes of the Leading Second podcast. We have interviews and, and regular conversations with thought leaders and church leaders on just some vital topics that we need to get right in the second chair. So plan to join us this Thursday. We're back for a few more episodes uh, for this fall. Uh, but until next time, Leading Second, we love you. We are so honored to get to do ministry with you. For all of us that want to get it right in the second chair, I pray this is feeding your soul, feeding your leadership as we uh, move church forward. So until next time, Leading Second, let's run strong for the kingdom and lead in an uncommon way together. For more information, check out leadingsecond.com or join us on the Leading Second Forum on Facebook.